Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Material Matters with me, Grant Gibson. We've been going a while now, but if you haven't heard the show before, then the idea is that in each podcast we meet a maker, designer, artist or architect who's intrinsically linked to a particular material or technique, discovering how their craft shape their lives and careers. Today I'm meeting Mario Sierra of the brilliant handwoven textiles company Morn Textiles. A family-run firm based in Northern Ireland, Morn was founded by Mario's grandmother, Gerd Haidigi, in 1949, and quickly went on to create pieces for the likes of Robin Day, Terence Conran, Liberty of London, and fashion designer Sybil Connolly. After some difficult years, the company has re-emerged and has recently done projects with the likes of Margaret Howell and Scandinavian furniture company Carl Hansen and Son. Mario, thank you very much for doing this. Very good. Oh, pleasure. Um, so I have to confess, before we start, that normally we do this in, uh, in people's workshops. Yes. But on this occasion, you've kind of semi-bought the workshop to London for London Craft Week at Pinch Furniture. Yeah. Um, what's going on there? Um, well, we've basically brought the loom on the road. So we've uh, brought the loom over on Sunday and we've set it up in their showroom in, in, on Bourne Street um, to, to present a collaboration that we've been working on for the last few months. Uh, we basically, Pinch have reimagined a couple of our Bourne Czech fabrics and a couple of colorways and we produced two cushions for them. And then we've also done a wall hanging that Russell designed. And, uh, well, with Una, they chose the colours. Um, we Russell Pinch. Russell, and, Pin- Russell Pinch, yeah. Russell yeah. Pinch and Una Bannon um, have basically put together this design for us. It actually gave us an opportunity to go back into the archives and pull out another one of the designs that I've been desperate to weave. So we, we sort of got the... The structure of the wall hanging is based on an old, an old design of my grandmother's again, um, from I think it was from the fifties. I think it was one that she, she used as wall covering uh, for the Festival of Britain mm. and the stand at the Festival of Britain. So it's it's nice to to bring that back into production. And how did you two get together? With what was it about Pinch? Did Pinch come to you? Did you go um, to Pinch? It sort of happened um, through London Craft Week. They right. brought us together. We've, I mean, I've right. obviously been a massive admirer of Pinch and the work that they do for years, and um, we've we've met we've met along the way for the last few years. So it's been, um, we we just came together through through London Craft Week on this occasion. Mm. But um, it's good. I'm pleased. Good, good. Been... So so look, we're not in the studio, but I have visited the studio. Yes, in the past. The morns, yes. Um, and you're in the foothills of the Morn Mountains in County Down. It's breathtakingly beautiful. Um, I'm wondering, could you describe your workshop and the environment for our listeners? Okay, um, so the workshop is just on the north side of Carlingford Lock. So we basically, if we look over the water, we're looking at the south of Ireland, the Republic of Ireland. We're, we're near a small village called Restrever. Um, and we, we literally, at the back at the back door, we have the mountains of Mourne. So we can just, we could, I could basically walk over a wall and walk for a couple of days through the mountains. And it's it's just beautifully wild a lot of heather granite outcrops um the geology is probably quite similar to the highlands up in the morns um the colors change throughout the year the subtle colors it's, it's just a it is a stunning part of the world it's had a lot of troubles over the years obviously being in the north of ireland we don't well, get I was tourists gonna, yeah i was going to talk to you about that because yeah. i mean you're quite near newry yeah uh, and I think there's a statistic, something like 53 people were killed there between 1971 and really? 1994. Okay, that is, that's a horrible statistic. Well, that's, yeah. yeah, it is. I mean, so it wasn't, it was a hotbed for the trouble. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that's as I, I grew up, to begin with, I lived in Dublin with my mom and my dad. And then we moved up north, my mom and I moved up north 
when I was probably about six or seven. And I lived in the workshop to begin with. And then we built a house next to the workshop where I live now whenever I'm over there. And it, and it was, it was, I remember as a child, you'd, you'd just go into the local village two, three miles away. You'd mm. go through two or three army checkpoints um, where you get stopped. You'd have to get your ID out. They, they check the back boots sometimes. So, yeah, it was, they, they referred to bandit country at the time. But it was sort of, it was just, a, it was, yeah, it wasn't, I took it for granted. It was just normal. But yeah. now thinking back to how it was, it seems insane that it was like that. Mm. And so we don't get tourists as a, we we still, still don't really get tourists. No, no. it's like mm. we have a weaver friend, um, John Drew Murphy from Killarney, and he came up a couple of years ago to help with one of our looms, and he and he was he was like, where where is everyone? And this was like middle early July. There was no one there. Um, whereas down in Killarney, it's just heaving, heaving, and heaving. So yeah, it's it's sort of a it's it's slightly hidden part of mm. Ireland. The political situation, I mean, it's not something we normally concentrate yeah, on yeah, in this, no, in this I, particular podcast, but it seems quite febrile again. Y- yeah, I mean, I, I, I get, yes, I don't really know how it's going to work mm. out. So I'm, I, you can't really think about it too much because nobody knows, so everyone's just wait mm. and see. But obviously, I mean, you, you're, you're on the border and we're in the middle of this Brexit uh, yeah. situation. I mean, we don't know how that's going to work out no, either. No, no. But presumably you must have some kind of contingency or you're thinking well, about Well, yeah, we're just thinking of what we can do. But again, it, it's really hard to plan. I mm. mean, we, I get, so we get a lot of our wool we'll buy from the west coast of Ireland in the, in the south, and then we'll bring it over the border to us, to the workshop, we'll weave it. And then when we get, it, when we get the cloth finished, we send it off to the finishers. And either, either they're going to Gala Shields if we're doing our blankets, we're finishing our blankets there, or we use finishers in, back in Donegal. So we're constantly back and mm. forth over the border mm. and in production all the way. And then, then obviously our clients are all over the world. We've got clients everywhere. So we then leave Ireland or leave the north of Ireland again to Europe or to to America. We've got a big, um, big following in America and Japan. So yeah, I'm not really sure how it's going to work mm. out. I think I know a lot of other weavers are the same or, I just don't know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, plan-wise, <laughs> not quite sure what the contingency is, but, yeah, we'll, we'll deal with it. So we just keep we'll our just fingers crossed. To, we just have to deal with it. Yeah. There's nothing. I mean, I can't, yeah. Can we talk a little bit about the, the history of the company? Yeah, Because it is, it is fascinating. Um, I mean, Morn Textiles was set up by your, your grandmother, Gerd Hay Edie, in the late 40s, early 50s, 49. Yeah, yeah, it was late 40s. She, and she, well, she was from Norway originally. She was, yes. Um, she left Norway probably when she was 1920. She, she travelled down to the north of Spain, set up a workshop, then a couple of years, I think, in the north of Spain. Then she travelled back and um, worked a lot in the UK. So she worked in, in Wales. She uh, was in Dartington, wasn't she? Yeah, she was yeah. in Dartington Hall. Um, I think she was head designer there for a number of years. Um, crazy place by the sounds of it at the time. And very um, young. I mean, she was a, she was she kind was, of prodigy. Yeah, that that's the bit, actually. The more... I learned about her actually in the recent years. And then I looked at her age when she was doing all these things. It was, it's incredible. Mm. She did so much before she was even in her mid twenties. She'd done like these crazy jobs. Um, yes, she was a force. She was a force all the way through. She, she was amazing at marketing herself. She was an amazing person. Mm. Mm. Um, so how did she end up from Norway oh, in Ireland? In a, in, from Norway, she ended up actually while she was living in Calcutta, she met, while she was out there and during the war, she met an Irishman, a northern Irishman from the Mourns, right. who, who basically just said, you should go and check out the Mourns. 
and I think she she loved she loved her time in Wales. She's she's very much was loved the rural um, environment. So she she went to the moor and she just went over and just based herself there. I think I think she couldn't go back to Norway because of the war, and she was just. Um, so what kind of year were we are we talking about? That would have been early forties. Early forties, she would have gone over there. Um, or early to mid forties. Not quite sure exactly of the, the exact time, but she she lived in a couple of houses. She worked. I mean, my mum always talks about she used to have a loom in her attic in the first house she was in in northern in Kilkeel, and until the ceiling fell in from weaving and beating the <laughs> from weaving those the ceiling fell in in the kitchen. I think. Um, so then she moved it to the garage, and then she she just worked worked her way through a couple of probably rented accommodation until she found a spot of land where we are now, where the where the workshop is now, and where. Her old house, which my mother lives in, was also on the same side. Um, she felt, she always used to say that she felt like her ancestors had been there before her um, because where we are, we're up on a little hill, so she just felt like that's, that's where the Vikings would have <laughs> come in the lock. I mean, it's Carlingford, which, is, which comes from Carlingfjord. Um, so it, there's... So it's similar topography is what it is. Yeah, very. It's, yeah, absolutely. It is, it is like a, a small fjord. It's basically, it's like Strangford, you know, Strangford mm. Lock is just up the, up the coast from us. So. I mean, the way you have described it uh, on your website and other places, uh, it almost sounds like the company came about by default in some ways. She, she set up, she wanted to set up a, a design studio yeah, and send, send the pieces to be woven somewhere else. That's totally what. So she, how did she end up weaving well, these, these pieces? I think I think she was she was looking for local craftsmen, like local weavers. I think, and, and there were probably a lot more over in Donegal at that time. Um, and she just couldn't find um, local manufacturers to make what she wanted them to make. So um, she she started training uh, the local farm, you know, girls who were on the farms local to come and weave in her workshop. So she, she would bring them. Everyone was very, very local to work. And they still are. Everyone was like, they, we still see, you know, Mary's and Margaret. And they're all, they're all, they're all there just, just in the vicinity of the workshop still. Their families are there. So there's this huge, even now, it's, 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 there's a huge connection with the, the people around us. I mean, that's, mm. that's what I love as well, is that there's farmers, the local farmers who say, oh, I remember as a child, you know, I remember your grandmother whenever I was a child and going to the school. We're right next to a little primary school, so they all remember the workshop back yeah. as it was. Um, but no, it was it was just by default. It was supposed to be design studio. She would always always you know in the past she would have done that in in Wales. She would have had it woven in mills in Wales. So she was expected to do the same, but it didn't quite happen that way. So she um, trained up the weavers, and actually they wove many many thousand meters of fabric over so the years at its peak how big was the company it actually wasn't it wasn't even that many i suppose a good guess would be probably six seven people within the company at that time at its peak but back then those six or seven would have made a lot of fabric mm. they they mm. worked a lot longer hours and the looms themselves that they came from norway the looms some came, some of the equipment came from norway we still we still have all of the original looms and the winding machines and the warp making the warp machine we've still got all those all that equipment some came from norway um some came from the uk some yeah, i mean came from huddersfield you know we've we, it's like a museum it's like we're using a museum to, to manufacture well it is but there's a sort of lovely story you tell about a local coffin 
Oh, the local coffin maker, maker made, making yeah. one of them, right? Well, yeah, we still have that. Yeah, we call it the Chinese loom because it was based on a loom that she used when she was out in China. Um, and it, yeah, it's still the local coffin maker made it. Um, but we we have a, a carpenter, a very good friend, carpenter called Moldman, and he he is currently he's always you know adapting looms, changing bits. He's he's yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, the, the craftsmanship locally that that I've discovered is is just it's it's. Yeah, no, it's very good. Metal workers, woodworkers. Mm. Mm. And the company uh, was obviously hugely successful. And you talked about the amount that it was it was making. Uh, working with some of these great names in in British modernism, Robin Day, Terence Conran. I mean, for Robin, you did the the Morn Mist and the Morn yeah, the Check, Morn Check, yes, uh, which was on Hillay's furniture for for years. Yeah, I think it was. I think twelve, thirteen years. It was over that time. Um, so when did things begin to dry up? And why did they dry up? I think that I think a mixture of cheaper fabrics. People will be getting more and more used to, or wanting or seeking out cheaper machine woven fabric. And they're going east, going to to, to Asia, I presume, at that time. Um, and also the troubles. I mean, I, as a child, I really remember the shop in the workshop. We used to have a big shop that had a big table tennis table in it, which is what you would cut all the fabric on. And we would get busloads of tourists would come up, and then they just stopped. And they just suddenly, we didn't get those tourists. And that was this is before the internet, before mm. any of the internet sales. So she, we didn't get visitors like we did down the south. That they did down the south. So it just just business would slow would slow down and production. So she had to lay off a lot of the weavers. We had one right until up until the end who would weave rugs and the odd lengths of tweed, but. It just it got quieter and quieter until eventually she just shut the door. All the loom stayed, all the fab, all the yarn stayed, all the everything just stayed as it was. Right. And she was very fortunate in that she could live in a flat. At that point, she'd moved out of the big house, her house, sold it, and was living in a flat above the workshop. I really remember that was mid eighties, um, and it just got dustier and dustier, mm. and stayed like that for probably 10, 10, 15 years until my mother renovated the, you know, put new windows in. They were practically falling out um, and brought the workshop back to life. She ran a few courses, um, started using up some of the old yarns and uh, yeah, got it, got it all working mm. again. Mm. And then I got involved. Well, <laughs> this, is, this is, I'm, I'm keen yeah, to talk yeah, to, yeah, that. Yeah. to, talk to, to you about you, uh, Mario, because, uh, you know, you've talked a little bit about it, but you, I read a quote, was you were saying at one point you were actually living or sleeping next to a loom yeah, as a child. Yeah, that's basically, I've been surrounded by looms my whole life. I've, I've you know, it's definitely my happy place whenever I go to the workshop. It's, I love, <laughs> I love the looms. Um, so when I, when we, yeah, in Dublin, I, this story goes, I, my mum always says, oh, you, you learned how to walk under, you know, holding onto the loom because she would be weaving big rugs on a very large rug loom that we still, we have now. And I would sort of basically walk around the loom, holding onto the edge of the loom and then sit on the pedals when it was time for her to stop. You know, at the end of the day, I'd sit on the pedals knowing that she couldn't weave if I did that. So, And then, and then when we moved up to the north of Ireland, up to the workshop, as we were building the house, I'd, my bed was up, was next to the loom, but basically in the workshop with the looms. So I, that was for me for about six months to a year. And then we had a little house connected to the workshop, which is where I stay when I'm over there now. And it's it literally, it's, it's like I open a door and I walk straight into the machine room. So it's, it's, it's yeah, it's my house, mm. really. Mm. And, and so much of the fabrics and the yarns come into the house. 
there's no air gap between them. So, <laughs> so your grandmum was a weaver. Your mother yeah. is a weaver. Yeah. Um, you went to Winchester School of Art yes. to become a weaver. I yes. To study I studied. I, yeah, studied textile art there. But then you didn't. You didn't take it up. You became a sound engineer. Well, yeah. why was that? Um, I think I had the traveling bug that probably most all my family travel. All my family are, um, I think, of my grandmother's children. My mother married a Spaniard. My my aunt married a Frenchman, and my uncle married a Swiss lady. Um, you know, they all traveled. They travel around Europe. I didn't really want at that point. I didn't really want to spend all my time in the morn. So I wanted to see the bit of the world, and sound work, documentary sound especially, was was what I was really into. How did you start doing that? Oh, I fell into it. I, I'm not quite sure. I think a family friend was a cameraman in Belfast. Um, I started assisting him as a, as, a, as a camera assistant and then got more involved. I realised smaller crews, sort of small um, documentary crews, didn't really involve camera assistants. Mm. Just, just really um, enjoyed. I enjoyed the challenges. I enjoyed meeting people. I enjoyed seeing things, seeing new things, travelling new places, um, and it was actually arts documentaries that got me back to what I'm doing now. Well, I was going to ask, was there a moment where yeah, you suddenly went, I've got to stop doing this there was, and become there was the weaving very, again. I mean, it's a really, there were two moments. The same sort of series that we were doing. Um, I did a lot with Andrew Graham Dixon on, oh, yeah. on Art of Germany. And then we did Art of America and did a lot of arts programs after that. But I think Art of Germany was the first when we were, um, we were filming with a woodcarver who was carving, we were in his studio and he was carving uh, roses out of wood. It was just absolutely amazing. It was beautiful. And I remember just, I was watching him doing it. I was thinking, do you know, I, I don't want to be this side of the camera. I want to be actually <laughs> doing what he's doing. I want, this is where I want to be working. I want, I want to be in my own studio um, making stuff. I wanted to be doing physical things, making something physical. Also, you know, working with, you know, with media you know, I worked a lot with computers as well, and it's just, I just wanted to make them. I wanted something physical. And I, I've always wanted to go back to the workshop. Every time I'd go back with my family, my wife and children, you'd, I'd walk into the workshop, the smells, the space, and I'd be like, okay, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. But um, my children were quite young then, so it just didn't, it didn't fit. As they got to a certain age, then I realised that was the time I could go back. What, what age was they suitable? Were, I think they were they were sort of late primary school, right. early early yeah. secondary school. In fact, they might have even been at secondary school. Some one of them. So, so you decide to give up sound engineering. Yes. Kind of take up the the family business again. Yeah. But what did you find? I mean, what was there left? Well, my mother actually one of the, the actually the, the catalyst was she was about to dismantle. She 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 had decided that she was she was going to stop. So she. Not stop completely, but she was going to dismantle most of the looms. Um, she at that time was living in the flat above the workshop, so she was sort of exp- she she didn't have enough space, so she was going to expand into the workshop. And I think I was nervous that if the looms got packed away, that they would never get built again, mm. um, that parts would get lost, whatever. It was I'd always wanted to get back into it, so I thought, well, now's my I have to do this now. So at that point, I I just came back. I mean, to be honest, my mom had got the workshop in great condition over the years doing what she was doing. Um, so the looms were there. We had, she actually had one weaver who had asked, actually had contacted her to learn how to weave. As soon as she'd learned how to weave, my mom then asked her if she'd weave for her. So she gave her a job. So this girl, this uh, Martine, actually is her name. She, so she was weaving some of the fabrics then. 
Um, so we had one weaver, one outweaver, and my mum and I, and a few looms, at the, well, four or five looms at the time, mm. and a lot of old yarn. So the big thing, the big thing, I think, that I, the big change I made straight away was um, we got all of the old yarn and we put it to one side and I started to source new new suppliers so we t- that we could repeat so we could basically we realized that we have to be able to repeat some of the designs so we can't just make it once and then not be able to make it again so so we went to the west coast of Ireland we brought we brought samples of all the old yarns um, some of them incredibly textured uh, merinos wools beautiful yarns really textured and we asked can we can you make this um, after some time that we, we got these yarns commissioned again. And then just, you know, started going through the archives, bringing back, slowly bringing back some of the, some of the designs. But it was, it was, you know, starting with the, starting with the fibres. The, the fibres are quite important because you, you have this yeah. kind of, when I was at your studio, you know, we, we spent a certain amount of time kind of rubbing yeah. the yarn between our fingers. It's this lumpy yeah, stuff it, that It's just use. highly, it's just really, te- really sort of organic feeling. There's no... It's, you can't see a repeat in the lumps. It's like it's just as, as the machine, mm. as they basically add texture to the yarn as they're spinning it. They're add, adding neps and burrs. So they're adding these spots, not of color on this occasion. This is just white. So we were, we were having it spun for us in ecru. And then we would, we would dye it, whatever colors we needed usually. Um, so it, it was just a highly textured yarn, almost like, almost like bad spinning. I mean, it was almost like, <laughs> I think I described it to someone. It was almost like that. You know the spinner. The spinner gone to the pub. Come back. Just started started spinning on a spinning wheel, and out came this really amazing yarn. Mm. Um, so that that was really important to me was to get this. And and when you weave with that sort of yarn, you you know there is this this sort of fluctuation of um, when a hand weaver weaves. This you know it, it doesn't look exactly right. It doesn't look it's totally even. So having the additional the yarn not being totally even was was really important to me. Mm. Was it always your intention to use Gerd's original designs? You yeah, didn't want to yeah, we had to. You... No, I, I've, I really wanted. No, everything was so, everything was moving. That this was the one thing that was concrete. Was this this archive was fixed, right. and I, I just really wanted to have one fixed point to then grow the workshop from, and it and it also felt respectful to this was her workshop that we were inhabiting. Yeah, we'd updated a little bit, but it really is still her. It's designed. She designed the workshop. She designed mm. the layout. She designed the production, the way the looms, all the machines work. I mean, it's amazing. I'm very, very fortunate that she's left this to us. I mean, and what kind of archive did she leave? Was she, was she well, somebody she left, who drew a lot, or had no? That she left actually. It's it's sort of she, we've got notebooks. She's got, so we've got the order books, we've got the warp books, and we've got sample books with lots of little scraps of samples, and and we're trying to. She'd never wrote anything down. Right. She didn't leave a very well-organized archive. <laughs> so it's been a lot of decipher. It's been slightly detective work, you know, finding the designs, finding the, you know, little scraps of paper, sometimes finding the drafts, then trying to find what yarn. Actually, from the Prince Project, I was up in the, having a look in the archives and I found her order book for the, that she would then, basically back then, she probably posted her orders. There wasn't, you know, email. So she took triplicate, you know, she would write the order and then there would be a book where the triplicate of this exact order was. And you could see what she was, how she was specifying the yarns were to be spun to the spinners. So it's, it's these sort of details. Mm. I want to try and I, need, I have to know exactly what she was feeling and why she, you know, so I'm trying to 
always trying to get inside her mind. Why was she doing this? Why did she want the lumps? Why was she... She was very musical, so, I mean, I always feel like there's, there's a rhythm. There's, some, there's an amazing rhythm in her cloths. I mean, there's a rhythm in the, in the threading of the, of the warp. There's, there's, they're mostly plain weaves, very simple weave, but she creates this, the design within the yarns that are within the weave, the different textures of the yarns, the different, the different yarn weights, um, the spacing of the yarns. It's, it's, it's lovely, actually. She would, I mean, I think I read somewhere she, she, she wrote um, that she would sit at the loom and she'd be designing the yarn until it was, until she, or designing the fabric until she felt that it was alive, it was, it was living. So at that point, then she stopped. So I suppose from when I, when we got started, um, I wanted to be as respectful as I could to her original designs because obviously I realised she spent a lot of time perfecting mm. them mm. to exactly how she wanted them. So I didn't want to come in and just change them flippantly, saying, oh, well, we can't find that yarn, so we'll just replace it with this. So when you came back, uh, it was you, your mum, and you had one other member yeah. of staff. Yeah. Um, when I visited you, you are significantly bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah, we... where did you where did you find your staff subsequently? Um, some word of mouth, some just adver- advertising, but locally advertising in local right. papers. So I'd, I've never really Wait, advertised. Are there loads of weavers locally? No, but no, but it wasn't. It was. I knew we couldn't really. There was no hand weavers. I mean, there aren't really any hand weavers. No, that we'd. So we knew that we had to train whatever whoever we employed. We knew that we were going to have to train them from scratch. Um, even even. Text, you know, even if you've woven a college, it's not the, it's not quite the same as a production hand weaver. It's a very different skill. Um, so we were just we just locally basically advertised in the paper. So one of the guys who actually one of the one of the first adverts we had, this guy rang up and he goes, "Oh, I used to." Um, we had a couple of bricklayers and people who didn't really understand what they were applying for, but then we had one guy who said, "Oh, I used to weave for a lady in the mornings." And I said, "Really?" And he basically he used to weave for my grandmother whenever my mum wow. was there. So he he used to weave for my grandmother when he was eighteen for a few years. He'd gone off and done another thing, and um, he he was still living just down the road, like literally three, four, five hundred meters down the road. So he he then came and has been helping. He can't weave sadly, but he was helping us in the machine room, uh, winding winding the cheeses or making bobbins. But you know, it's, it's just great. For, to have, just for listeners who don't know, cheeses are uh, cheeses. Basically, we break in the in the warping process. We break, so we buy cones of yarn, which are quite large, either one two kilo cones, and we have to break them down into smaller packages. So a cheese, we do, we have got a winding machine, so we break one cone down into maybe um, four, five, six cheeses, and it just means we get a lot of ends, like as in the ends threads in the warp. So just basically, it's just speeding, breaking mm. down packages, yarn packages. Um, a cheese is a parallel comb. Mm. You know, mm. um, just generally word of mouth. Or and how long does it take somebody to to? Well, it train. takes it takes um, well to do it well. It takes years. Yeah. Um, and we we you know we'd start off with certain aspects of the whole process. We you know people, everybody in the workshop. We work as a team, so not everybody knows everything. So. Right. So we're all different areas within the whole process. There's so many different hands that go into making one piece of cloth. It's, it's, um, so, so yeah, I suppose to weave, to learn at least, you know, six months to get okay, but, um, but to weave at speed and also to weave 
without making mistakes. That's the hard thing. Mm. It's to weave because exp- mistakes are very expensive when it comes to handwoven cloth. You might be just weaving. I mean, you can weave from one meter a day to five, six meters a day on a hand loom. It's not much. Mm. So mm. Um, don't, they all need to count. And how do you divide your time? Because you have uh, obviously the, the workshop uh, in Morn. But also you live in Brixton, right? Yeah. So how, how, does, how does that work for you? I'm commuting at the minute between <laughs> Morns and Brixton. Very different parts of the world as well. Yes. I mean, so on I a love... Friday night, I'll come back. A lot of times I'll go over to the, to the Morns for midweek, um, either Tuesday to Friday or Monday to Thursday. You know, obviously, I've got family here, so I need to, do need to see them. Um, so, yeah. So Friday night, I'll, I get late night flights, lots of late night flights, travel back. And I emerge into Brixton, and it's just chaos. It's, it's. It, I love it. I love both. I love both parts of the world. Is it important that you get both? Yeah, it? it is actually really important. I think it's very important. I mean, we, you know, a lot of the people we sell to are in London or or further afield. Um, also, I mean, I, I I like the buzz. I like the multicultural side. Of, you know, I'm half Spanish. I'm a bit Norwegian. Um, no, I, I love I love London. I love the melting pot and the yeah. Just, just the way it is. Mm. Um, so, very shortly after you kind of came back, um, this project happened with Margaret Howell. Yes. And was that just pure luck? How did that, that come about? And how important has that been to the, the company? Oh, that's hugely important. I mean, the support that, that we've got from Margaret Howell and, and, um, yeah, and everybody at Margaret Howell actually has been amazing. That strangely came about through a furniture collector who had some of our samples of our Morn Czech fabrics that my mother had sent over to him. Um, and he was showing a friend of his who happened to work for Margaret, who worked for Margaret Howell, these samples. And then she, she got in touch. Um, I, I, I went in with, I mean, if I think back to it now, it must've been looked ridiculous the way I arrived, <laughs> but I arrived with bin liners full of bits and pieces and you know, not really knowing what I was walking into. Um, Obviously, the showroom is beautiful, so I realized as soon as I walked in the door, I was <laughs> maybe shouldn't have had the big bin liners. But so I, yeah, I basically, it's, it just it happened very easily. Mm. It strangely happened quite easily. It sort of started with cushions and I think placemats, and then it expanded from there as we, as we brought more archives into production. The support that we've got has been so um, vital, actually, to the workshop growing. Because we are tucked away in the mornings, so we need it's and also that's why you know when we bring the loom to London, it's it's great because people can actually see physically what we you know how we make the fabrics, which is quite hard to describe to people sometimes. I mean, is there a danger that you become a heritage brand? Is that is that something you're aware of? Yeah. And how do you avoid it? Um, how do we avoid it? <laughs> yeah. No, I I think it's it's important that we've come from then we've come from the, the archives that's the, the the new sort of the modern textiles today has come from the heritage that it comes from the archives come from my grandmother's designs but you know over the years we have we have been well this new yarns we've been discovering new yarns as well a lot and as i've been looking through the archives i can see that my grandmother's also revisited a lot of her old designs and reimagined <laughs> them so it's when I when I when I saw this actually, it sort of made made me feel okay actually okay. So there's there is a root at the minute in all of our designs within the archives. Some of them have changed. We've changed the weights of the yarns. We've employed new new softer yarns, um, which have changed the feel of the fabrics. Um, 
some of the yarns we still can't get hold of. I'm actually now trying to source machines so that we can make these yarns ourselves, but you know, we've got to find some archive machines to then make these archive yarns. So, um, so it's, it's, where do you find archive machines? Oh, not very easily. Um, I mean, I've just online, I mean, a lot online or, or people contact us now. I have a dream that there is a mill out there that's just somebody else has shut the doors yeah. and I can just walk into it and have all the machinery in it, but I've not found it. They don't really exist anymore, I think. Um, so, yeah, it's word of mouth. I mean, sometimes people say, oh, there's such and such has got a shed and he's got some bits of machinery in it. Go and have a look. Some people, like recently, we got we got given a, a Donny, an old Donegal loom that's sitting in my hallway and I need to I need to renovate a little bit. But So it's a lot of people now know we're weavers, so they mm. tell us about it. But, yeah, no, they're getting harder and harder to find. That's for sure. So when you do find them, you do you do you don't want to let them go. Mm. Mm. Um, and finding spares, that's always, that's also practically impossible. So you need spare looms to so that you can at least get one loom working out of yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this. I suppose we need to have our own collaborations now. I suppose my grandmother worked; she had hers. So there's some incredible brands. To, I mean, that, like for example, now this where we are t- today, where you, where, we, where we met earlier, Pinch. Um, Fantastic! It's you know it's been it's been a really fun project. I suppose it, yeah, it's just meeting the right people today and continuing what we're doing and, and keeping it current and keeping not becoming a fad. It's very very important that mm. we we have longevity. The workshop has to keep going. It's not it's not just it, it can't just be a. a you know, because craft is obviously, it's got a, there's a resurgence in craft at the minute, which is great. I love it. I'm really happy for it. But I suppose when it's maybe not so fashionable, I'd still want the workshop to be able to produce, be able to weave. I'm just, I'm just wondering what your plans for the future are. I mean, obviously, uh, you're the third generation. Yes. Are your kids interested in, in taking all um, this on? No pressure on them. I have to keep <laughs> the pressure off them. Um, obviously, I'd love it if they did. But no, I, I you know, let, let, well, they're still quite young. So they, they'll do their own thing same as same as the way i went one way and then came back mm. they might go one way and come back they may they may not want to um yeah lots of plans for the future still some of these plans are up in the air some of these plans um a little bit more fixed i mean we're always meeting new designers or new interior designers new architects um so we'll see we'll see where we end up there's so many new fibers out there we've not actually had, even had the opportunity to to sample with that I'll, I'll get a chance but continuing going through the archives there's so many archives we've only skimmed the surface really as soon as we can get find source more yarns then we'll carry on making new designs actually one of the big things is the new apprentices who aren't so new anymore are you can see that they're getting the more involved they get in weaving they are getting the bug they're getting right. the, they are so yeah they're getting slightly obsessed with it themselves. There's so. another generation that you've educated. Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm hoping so. Yeah. I'm hoping so. I mean, that, it depends on them. That's, I mean, a lovely, it really does. that's a lovely place to finish. Yeah. Mario, thank you very, no, very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. And to learn more about Morn Textiles, go to morntextiles.com. There are images of the interviews as well as little films and other things on my Instagram page, Grant on Design. If you've enjoyed listening and want to see this podcast flourish, then please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and go to my Patreon page and make a pledge. You can find that at patreon.com forward slash material matters. You'll be helping to take the message of the importance of materials, skill, craft and design to a whole new audience.
And finally, if you want to sponsor an episode or indeed an entire series, do drop me a line on gdgibson at btinternet.com. Thanks very much for listening.